Well, good morning again, everyone. It's good to see everyone here on this fourth Sunday in Advent. Uh, welcome back, everyone, again, uh, who's following online. Uh, today, well, imagine yourself, I, I don't know, uh, we're going to start out imagining yourself at a wedding. Uh, you all probably recognize some version of this scenario. Uh, you're at a wedding, and they get to the toasts, and sometimes the toasts are in more taste than others. Um, but just picture this scenario. You know, the best man gets up there to get a to give a toast, and he, he, he pulls up his glass, and he's, he's, he's the groom's old college bro. They were frat buddies. They got they lots of good memories together. And uh, their lives have taken slightly different paths since graduation. Um, but he gets up and he raises his glass, and he looks at the couple that's sitting right there uh, at, the, at that head table. And he looks and he looks over at the bride and goes, Tiffany, and he's completely, totally sober, of course. Totally sober. The best man is always totally sober. And he's like, Tiffany, you look like a good girl. You've made good choices in life. You had good grades. You did all that. Now you're getting married. Do you know what happens in marriage? I mean, Billy Bob here. Billy Bob here, I mean, he has good intentions. I know, he said, I know he says he loves you and wants to be all Mr. Good Husband and everything, uh, but he, he doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't know what's coming. You see, I've been through marriage uh, two, oh wait, three times, that's right. And uh, <coughs> I've tried it. And you, you may think you're going to be all happy, but you're going to settle in, and then you're going to have work, <coughs> and the passion dies, and then the laundry piles up, and then you're fighting over the bills, and the dishwasher, and then your parents start complaining about whose house you're at more over the holidays, and uh, your wife's all mad at you because she wants you doing things like helping out and showing up and... And next thing you know, you're fighting, and so you go down to the old father inn, and you, you, you meet some random stranger just to feel alive, and next thing you know, you got a divorce, and a doctor's visit, and some child support bills. But good luck on that. I just want to look back, and I just don't want you looking back and saying, you know, oh, I, I wish I would have known. Old Jimmy would have told me something about that. Cheers. And, and you could imagine Tiffany's eyes would look at him like, I am going to murder you at a time of my choosing. <laughs> and then she would look at her soon husband and go, go, if you don't murder him, I, you, you, this, this is going to last as long as Jimmy predicted. And you can imagine that Jimmy from the frat gets this, this glare, but you know, and you look at, you know, you sit there and you go, well, maybe he's right. I mean, I mean but he, he doesn't know that. He doesn't have the future. Maybe he's just a really bad husband, and he's projecting his own screw-ups on everybody else. I mean, yeah, when you get married, you're making a leap of faith. You know, you're taking a risk. You're putting yourself out there. You don't know how it's going to end. You know, it could go bad, I suppose, but you still do it. You know, and when it feels good, you let yourself feel good. And, and this is where, you know, this is what we sound like, I think. I think we all kind of sound like uh, frat bro Jimmy 
when we can't allow ourselves to be happy in the moment. You know, we start to look at everything in the world like an insurance risk assessor. You know, they, they call every year. You know, we get, we get a call or an email from the church insurance company. We'll offer a free inspection of your facilities and point out any areas for improvement. And I'm always like, no, we're good. Because, of course, you know what's going to happen. They're going to go through, find fault with everything. If we don't do everything they say we do, which is going to cost gobs of money, then if something happens, they'll say, well, see, we told you. I'm like, I'm not going to invite, I'm not going to invite them in, you know. I, I mean, the, before the insurance company, none of us are righteous. That was, that was St. Paul's other note that he said. But when, when you start to look at everything from that kind of risk assessment uh, paradigm, uh, where you look around every corner and every corner is a potential, potential disaster and, and, and every moment is just an impending thing that could hurt you, you know, what kind of life is that to live? Where's the fun in that? You know, where a, a, every moment is just hiding, hiding a bad thing that could happen. It's almost like you're sitting there in the sun and you're covering yourself in clouds and patting yourself on the back for not being naive about the sunburn. I mean, look, we all go through life knowing that it could end badly. We all know that. And for a lot of us, we've even maybe seen some really bad things, been through some really bad things. Maybe we've lost loved ones. But that doesn't mean that you're not going to try to live life and enjoy it when you can. Jesus says we're not supposed to worry about tomorrow and that all the worrying in the world won't, add a, won't change a thing. He even says, Matthew 6, can any of you by worrying add a single hour to the span of your life? Isn't that interesting? Add a single hour. You know? We, 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 think, we think when we start adopting sort of risk assessment mode that we're being more responsible and that we're preparing ourselves and that, that kind of safe living should lead to being longer because it's not a necessary risk. And yet Jesus looks at us and says, no, that's not, that's not true. In fact, your worrying will add nothing. In fact, I would argue that it might make your life shorter because worrying can lead to more anxiety and heart issues and ulcers. There's that. But there's also, you, you know that feeling when they say that time stands still when you're having fun, you know? And you, you, look, you look back on a particular point in your life where you're really having fun and it seems like it was years and it was a three-week period or something in the summer of 77. And, uh, but if you're never having fun because you never let your guard down, because you're always looking for doom, you're going to have time, you're going to have your life pass you by so fast and you'll never have those moments that seem to go on forever because they're so filled with joy you forget how fast time passes. I think about this sometimes when people ask me about having kids, in particular, like, why so many? Um, I think some of that's being in America, right? I think there's other countries where five would not be considered a big, a huge family. But, and this question usually comes from some of my... Uh, more exceptionally eco-progressive friends who don't really believe that we should probably be having, aren't sure we should even be having kids at all right now. Um, and, and it's a fair question to ask. You know, the world is, you know, there is global warming, there's rising sea levels, there's going to be all sorts of things happening, droughts are expanding, 
you know, you could go on and on like that. And so then they look at me and they're like, well, why would you want to bring kids into that? And, uh, you know, I, I get it. I get it. There's things going on. You know, the world is changing. So why bring kids into that? Well, why, why not look at... And uh, I have different answers to them. I have different answers I give them. But a lot of it comes down to faith and looking at the world through a lens of faith. You see, I believe seriously in what jo Jesus said in John 1. And I quoted it last week, I'll quote it again. This is, the, uh, this is the John 3 verse that doesn't end up behind the uh, end zone. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. You just think about that again. He didn't send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Not blown up and the survivors rescued, but that the world might be saved. That's his goal. That's why Jesus came, to save the world. And yet, God will also, the same God will also then show John, uh, the writer of Revelation, that eventually we'll get blown up and people will be raised to eternal life. So you want to go, okay, God, what is it? What is it? Are you here to save the world or are you here to blow it up? What's the answer? Well, you got to think like a parent. You know it might end badly. Maybe even know that it will end badly. But you still want to see it saved, right? You still want to see it changed. You want to see, you know, you don't want to see bad things happen. You want other people to experience the joy of salvation. So what do you do? You go for it anyways. You go for it with full gusto, with all your energy, and you throw yourself at this life and the calling from God with everything you've got. You hope against hope because that's what God's prophets have always done. God had a really weird way of calling prophets. You read through the Bible. Um, no one can ever accuse God of false advertising or bait-and-switch recruiting, right? He'll start out with someone like Isaiah, and you'll get the, he'll get this great vision of the throne room, and there's lights in the temples, everything. It's awesome. And then God will go, okay, here's what I want you to do. You're going to go to a people who are stubborn and hard of heart, and they're not going to listen, and they're not going to do anything you say, and I'm going to go on for two paragraphs telling you how much they're not going to listen and not going to say. Go. And you go, God, that's nonsensical. Why are you sending somebody out? You know they're not going to listen. Because, because you have, because God still puts that hope in us, even when it looks like there shouldn't be hope. He hopes against hope, and he tries, and, try, and he warns even when he, he's convinced they won't listen. Because, and that's what God does, out of love for the world that he wants to save. And yes, Jesus may have known the eventual end of the world, I believe he did, but he still threw himself into it, without letting the storm, the coming storm stop him. He didn't say, well, the world's going to end anyways. If that's going to happen, why go through this crucifixion stuff? Why? Because he wanted to change the world. I mean, how, how many times did he sit and tell his disciples, it is necessary that I must die. The Son of Man has to do this. The Son of Man has to go to Jerusalem where the priests and, and, and the Romans are sitting there waiting to get him, and yet he walked right into it anyways. Why? He came into the world to save it. 
And he didn't let the worry about what could happen stop him or consume him. That's what Jesus did. And I believe that there is so much good now that we can have in this life that God has given for us, that it's worth making future plans and not letting the fears and worries get to me. I refuse to let a dark cloud hang over everything in life and allow every action to be buzz-killed by worry about what might happen in the future. Yes, I will assess risks and try to be smart. I'm still going to put my seatbelt on. I'm still going to use my blinker on Interstate 10 and everywhere, but really on Interstate 10. Because either I won't see you or you won't see me, but if one of us sees the other, we might not hit each other. You know, I'm still going to get my COVID shots, right? I, 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 but I won't live with worrying or risk paralysis. I will make future plans and bring new people into this world to experience the love of God, just like Mary did. This is our Bible reading today from the Gospel of Luke, right? It's called the Magnificat. It has its own Latin name. You know you've moved up when you get a Latin name, right? Um, it's what Mary sings when she finds out she's going to be the mother of the Messiah, that she's got the baby that's going to rule for eternity. Nothing big. And, and it's really awesome when you look at the Magnificat up close because you see how incredibly hopeful she is, not just about herself or her family, but about the world. Here we go, Luke 1. You didn't see it up there. There we go. So the first part starts out, the first few verses, it's Mary celebrating herself, right? She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in my Savior. He's looked with favor on his servant. So he's looked with favor on me. Surely generations will call me blessed. Oh, the mighty one has done great things. So, so far, it's thank you, God, you've been good to me. And then it switches. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Now it's not just about her, now it's about everybody. Right? He's shown the strength of his arm. He scattered the proud. He brought down the powerful. He lifted up the lowly. He filled the hungry. He sent the rich away empty. He helped his servant Israel. Oh my gosh, it's just, what has God done? God has done great things. And not just little things, big things, earth-changing things, political-changing things, according to the promise he made to our ancestors. Just listening to this, you can hear the great joy she's got, right? Not just for herself, but for all of God's people, for the whole world. That we're now going to have salvation, all of us. And you can see that pattern. It starts about her in the first half, then it switches to what God has done. This is why I think she believed the angel when the angel came to her and said, Mary, you're going to have a son. Do not fear. And why did she not fear? Because the Lord has done these great things in the past and the Lord will do them again. And yeah, it might end badly because life for prophets usually does. But Mary doesn't think about that. It's why it drives me nuts when people talk about baby Jesus and all they can do is talk about the cross that's coming. There's a painting. I couldn't, I don't know the name of it, so I couldn't find it to throw it up on the screen. It's from that like, you know, 1600s era when they would paint these paintings that looked like they were put in the Renaissance or something, 
totally historically inaccurate, you know. And you got Mary and Jesus dressed in, you know, like wealthy Dutch traders or something. And there's this big arch building behind them. And, and, uh, uh, and on the wall, and I noticed this because, you know, the, my atheist friends on Facebook were pointing out, oops, historical inaccuracy. There's a crucifix above the manger. And I'm like, oh, somebody is really worried you're going to forget about the cross, aren't they? Just so you don't get too comfy. And I'm like, really? You can't just let them have this moment? You can't kill the moment? Does everything have to be the cross every second of the day? You know? I mean, you, 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 I know you're trying to be helpful. I know you're trying to keep our attention. But do you have to have the moment of darkness hanging over the moment of light? You know? Can't you just have this moment? Can you just let me feel this happiness? Can you just let Mary have her moment? Isn't that kind of what we say with people who are a little bit kind of the downers? You know? We just look at them and say, can you just let me have this moment for a while? Let me worry about how I'm going to pay for, you know, the insurance premium later. Let Mary have this moment to celebrate this miraculous pregnancy along with them falling down of the mighty from their thrones and, and lifting up the lowly. Can you just let her have this moment? Can you just be in this time and live with the promise that God will take away all the fear that we have? Yeah, it could get ugly in the meantime, but God's got this in the end. So why ruin the moments of life that you have, refusing to enjoy the good that God's given you and the hope that God's spread? Gee, if Jesus didn't worry and he knew how the story ends, why should we? We should be the most joyous people in the world because of what God has done for us, that we can sing songs like Mary does, that we can sing songs in the face of the bad that happens to us because we have a hope and a God who came to save this world. Amen.